Hey, it's Joe Roder here on the Men Podcast, which is the podcast that gets right to the point. Uh, want to help get you prepped, prepared, and uh, tooled up to go do some fishing this spring and uh, talk specifically about the first real exciting hatch of the spring across most of the western rivers, and I'm sure some uh, on the eastern half of the United States as well, but we're going to talk about the Squala stonefly hatch and explain what the hell a squala is because this time of year you're going to read it on all sorts of blogs see it in magazines and hear that term all the time and i'm going to help simplify it for you on today's podcast and get into it with some tips that are really applicable to anywhere you fish uh but especially applicable uh if you're out here in the pacific northwest the far upper left part of the country. So before I get right into it, hey, just uh, make sure to follow us on this podcast. Don't just listen to it on the blog, but get the app, get the Podbean app, get on here. I'm going to do these every two weeks and uh, like I said, hopefully kind of stay on task and get you nothing but really great information. Follow us on Instagram to see the day-to-day stuff we're doing and subscribe to the Reds Fly Shop YouTube channel uh, where I think we got... uh, you know, our our attitude of just sticking right to the point uh, is held true on that as well. So, anyway, thanks for listening. So, regarding the Squala Stonefly Hatch, uh, I'm looking at the Yakima River right now, uh, and it's uh, a good example of a big western river uh, where the fishery is largely driven by stoneflies. And stoneflies are one of three categories of major aquatic insects, uh, say four aquatic types of insects that are really useful for fly fishermen. And that is, uh, you know, stoneflies, mayflies, caddisflies, and then the fourth leg, I guess, would be, would be midge. Um, those are aquatic insects. And then the other major type is a terrestrial insect, which would be like a grasshopper, or an ant, or a bee, or a beetle, or something that comes from outside the water. But stoneflies really are what make western fishing special. Uh, they're a very, or they can be a very large insect, uh, up to about three inches long. Uh, that's a, a salmon fly is the largest of uh, the, the stonefly family, and uh, followed closely by golden stones uh, and summer stones. And squalas are kind of uh, an upper middle-sized stonefly uh, that range in size from number 8 to 12. Now, what makes the squala so special? Well, the the number one reason is the squala stonefly uh, starts to migrate and uh, begin its kind of its its life cycle or uh, its metamorphosis can begin as early as late January. So... These stoneflies, what's what's unique about them in one way is they, they require relatively cool, well-oxygenated water. So you're going to find stoneflies in the same places that you're going to find, you know, riffles uh, and boulder-strewn uh, rapids and uh, streams that contain a fairly high concentration of dissolved oxygen. So uh, when you think about like a, a stream that's you know, cascading along with lots of white caps and white water, uh, that's typically a good stonefly stream or an area. So 
we get to fish the faster portions of the stream oftentimes or the faster streams or more rich with stoneflies. So that's usually a fun thing to be able to do. Um, Squala stoneflies uh, live on, I'd say it's, it's slightly unknown, but they live on about a two to three year life cycle. So they're, they're squala stonefly nymphs in the river essentially all the time. Uh, and when they grow to maturity, uh, what they'll do is the, 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 the nymph migration essentially triggered by length of day and water temperature. So about this time of year, you know, the days are getting longer, water's getting a little bit warmer. You've got these pretty good sized stonefly nymphs that have been living out there in the riffles and the rapids and, and, uh, the larger rock, you know, they, they typically will be found where there's a little bit larger substrate and they'll start to migrate towards the shore and they'll creep in along the bank and you'll have all these nymphs living a little bit closer to the shore than you typically do at other times of the year. Now, when they feel compelled, these stoneflies, these squala stonefly nymphs will migrate out onto the shore and they'll, they'll go through a metamorphosis, which, which essentially they've already gone through. They've already grown and developed wings inside their nymphical skin or their nymph skin. They'll crawl out onto a rock, a stick, a twig, and they'll shed that skin, kind of like a snake does, or a, you know, a butterfly pops out of a cocoon, and they'll leave that exoskeleton behind or that shuck behind, and then the adult insect uh, will flee and, and head for uh, a place of protection. So a lot of times you'll have these hatches, you guys, and uh, you won't see, you know, these big bugs flying around. You won't see them, you know, just sitting on the rocks. A lot of times it's kind of an imaginary hatch. And uh, these squalas will get up in the trees and uh, they're, a, they're an olive drab. Let's just call them camouflage. So that's kind of what they are. So they're kind of a camouflage, you know, modeled camouflage pattern, and they're pretty long. You know, they're a solid inch long, and they'll be up in the the bushes or the trees, and they're really hard for the angler to see. Now, what what they'll do is, if the weather's bad, you won't see these bugs out at all. So if it's windy and stormy and rainy and all that, typically squalla stoneflies don't want to be out and about. They're going to go through their uh, their breeding process, um, usually up in trees or other riparian habitat, you know, in the bushes up there. And uh, after they've gone through this mating cycle, uh, I, I don't know what the, I don't want to bore you with like what the gestation period is like and all abalone, but when the females, when the dry fly fishing typically gets triggered is when these females come back to the water to lay their eggs. And uh, they typically do it during the hottest part of the day. So that might be 50 degrees, right? It could be cool out um, this time of year. Uh, but they're going to do it during the nicest, warmest part of the day, and they prefer calm days, which is awesome. So they bite during the middle of the day uh, when there's when there's dry flies present. So that's kind of the, the general gist of it. It's an early spring hatch. It's big. It's the size of a grasshopper. Uh, on average, we fish the nymphs, uh, and you can often fish them in really shallow water. Uh, and I'll leave a link to a, a collection of squalla stoneflies uh, in the in the podcast description, or if you're on the blog, um, I'll leave a link there just so that you can see these bugs and buy some. Get out there uh, on your local river. Uh, doesn't have to be here. Uh, be great if it was. Come out and do a guided trip with us. I'll plug that later. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, I'll leave a link to the the bug description so you can see the patterns that we're actually fishing. But it's really exciting. You get to fish these nymphs, and you can fish them relatively shallow, right against the edges in shallow riffles. So they migrate in. Um, later in the hatch for us, you know, our dry fly fishing really begins to pick up about mid to late March. Um, and, and then extends all the way into April. Um, and, uh, you know, when those females return to water to lay their eggs, their egg sack, or, you know, they can lay up to about a thousand is the, just the, nobody really knows, but that's about how many eggs they will typically lay. And, uh, it'll, it'll look like a big black blob right on their butt, on the end of their abdomen. And uh, the way these females lay eggs is they come back, plop down to the water, they waddle around and wash these eggs off their abdomen. The eggs are coated in kind of like a saliva. So when they when they do sink down, uh, they stick to rocks uh, and stick to the bottom. They just, they, you know, they adhere. And uh, ideally, you know, a female will, will fly upstream layer eggs and the eggs float down and uh begin to to you know go through their whatever their embryonic process and whatnot um in about the same spot which they emerge from so that's the general life cycle of the squala stonefly now i'm going to get into like more tactical stuff but i want you to kind of know what it is in just a minute but key things there the dry fly fishing is, is often the best on nice, calm, sunny days. Uh, they don't want to fight wind and rain and all that. Uh, you won't see the dry flies on the water very well. These, these squalas, they're, they're camouflage and they're stealthy, man. They sit with their wings very low and very flat to the water. They don't flap their wings like a salmon fly or a golden stone and make a, a ton of commotion. They're very low profile, very, very subtle on the water, so they can be pretty hard to see when they are there. You can scout for the hatch by looking for uh, the exoskeletons or the shucks uh, along rocks, sticks, twigs, and junk like that along the edge of the shoreline. If you're seeing those, be thinking about dry fly fishing from 1 o'clock on. If you're seeing those shucks on the water, think about dry fly fishing from 1 o'clock on. You can certainly throw your little stonefly nymphs, you know, you know, in the morning and be effective, but dry fly fishing is typically going to be best in the afternoon as the, as those trout know that that's the timing, which those females come to lay their eggs and look for patterns, dry fly patterns that have an egg sack, uh, on them. Uh, as far as finding, you know, good places to, to, to spend your efforts, look for riffles with some white caps and white water, fish the back edges of those riffles and man, Sometimes those fish will be right at your feet. Um, they can be in ankle to shin deep water sometimes right in the edge of those riffles, especially when that water, or excuse me, when the air temperature is warmer than the water. Um, a lot of times those, those big mature trout, for some reason or another, the bigger ones love to slide up into the head edge of that riffle. And, uh, so be careful, you don't step on a trout when you're, when you're stepping into your own. So, yeah, that's kind of like the just background. Um, let's talk about, you know, one, you know, practical expectations. Okay. So guides and like guides and outfitters, we get excited about this hatch, you know, not just cause we're starving and hungry and going broke, uh, all winter. Um, 
You know, I, I joke that we run we run a special deal during this hatch at Reds, and I joke that it's the Hungry Guide special, <laughs> and we want to get the guides off the couch. But um, that's only a little bit of it. You know why we typically run uh, kind of a special guide rate, and I'll put a link to that. Um, I'm not going to try to sell you too hard on that. We typically end up booking full for the most part anyway, so I don't want to hard sell you on it, but. We, we get excited, like we're very motivated uh, in the spring to get out there and get after it and get anglers engaged early in the season because it's been a long off season. And we get pretty excited about the squalla hatch. And uh, the squalla hatch, however, is it's one of those things that we start, you know, we start really utilizing that knowledge that I just discussed starting now, you know, first to second week of February. I mean, we're on it. You know, we're, we're starting to fish squalla nymphs. We're starting to test the waters along the shoreline. We'll start to throw a dry fly here and there in the afternoon just to check. Um, but we're still nymphing. But it it's not going to be the only fly we fish from February through April. Um, there's going to be periods of time in that time frame when that hatch is, you know, present and happening. And there's going to be some days there that are going to be, you know, among the most memorable days you've ever fly fished. Uh when you hit it right and you do it right, uh, which I'm going to help you with, but we get really excited about it because it, it really is rejuvenating after a long winter to be able to get out and in February or March, you know, have some very productive angling in situations that, um, are a little bit, I, I don't know if high stakes is the right word, but maybe it is the right word. Um, because, these fish, you know, never come on, never come and try to hit the squalla hatch and think you're going to catch a lot of fish and it's going to be easy. So we can have great fishing, but I think a lot of people go at this hatch and they, they see a big dry fly and it looks a lot like a grasshopper or chubby Chernobyl or some, you know, it's a, it's a big leggy pattern, right? And they think, oh man, you know, I'm going to, this is a big cheeseburger for a trout. I'm going to slap this thing out there and the trout are just going to jump on it. That'll happen some days during that hatch when when the hatch is at its best or its peak, and those fish are just hungry and aggressive, and frankly, anybody can catch those fish. There, there's nothing special about that. But what gets myself and a lot of other, especially real seasoned guides, excited about this is we're talking about fishing in pre-runoff conditions for the most part where the water's low and clear, it's cold, the fish are often laying in, in flat, shallow edges where the water is a little bit spooky. And if you want to be a good dry fly fisher, if you want to call yourself a good dry fly fisherman, test your skills on this hatch where you have to delicately set down, and I mean delicately set down, a squalla dry fly because in those calm areas, the fish is going to see the fly land. I'm a huge believer in this. A good dry fly fisherman will actually show the trout the fly hitting the water, set it down just right, set it down delicately, and then not mess around with it a whole bunch with a bunch of men's and a bunch of garbage. And a good angler can drop that fly into some of the real slow, calm edges and and have these most amazing takes on on squalas for bigger, you know, above average size pre-spawn, you know, rainbows and cutthroat where we're at. And a lot of the takes will be very slow. Those fish will just yawn their way up. And we'll get we'll get shots at some of the biggest trout of the year in that scenario like I just described. 
So, you know, accurate, delicate casting and angler's ability to read the water and, and identify the, the seams, these very subtle little seam lines near the shore. The angler's got to set that fly down right. The fish is going to see the fly land. It's going to create rings and this illusion that a, that a female stonefly just plopped down on the water. And then if we can hold the drift, and what I mean by that is it doesn't drag and we don't mend it and disrupt it. But if we can hold that drift for several feet, we can get that fish to yawn its way up and close his mouth on that, that stonefly pattern. And we typically run like, you know, 4X and 5X tippet for the squall of stonefly hatch. If you, if you really want to do it right, you can catch fish on heavier leaders. But what I found is in a lot of those real soft, slow edges, it's surprising how many bigger trout are living in there and it's tough to hold the drift on short heavy leaders so you know if we can just i'll interject some tackle advice here but like a nine foot four x leader is about right for squalas you know a lot of people run shorter but it's tougher to hold those drifts along in those real subtle seam lines along the bank uh, with with longer leaders so uh what i would encourage people to do is uh you know in order to keep organized uh so that that that's what gets me excited about the hatch. Like that's like the the climax of it, right? Dropping dry flies into skinny, slow little seam lines along the shore, you know, nearer the shore. That gets me pumped up, and I mean, every guide loves that. That's what we live for this time of year. So go into the hatch with realistic expectations, though. This is not hopper fishing. It's not hundred fish days. If you want to be, if you want to have a kick-ass squalor trip. You're going to come out in any time from now through early April and expect to throw some light line nymph rigs or some nymph rigs and keep it simple. You know, if, if you're with one of our guides, you're in good hands. If you're with, you know, you're on your own, just make sure and keep your nymph rigs simple and clean. You know, I like New Zealand style indicators. I like smaller stonefly nymphs and, you know, 10s and 12s. Uh, and I'm going to run them on 5X tippet if the water's clear because I need to hold those drifts through subtle currents. Do a little nymphing in the morning and then if you want to catch fish on dries and there are adult squall of stoneflies present, if you want to be a good dry fly fisherman, you got to practice your dry fly fishing. So once you switch to dries, be like, hey, it's noon or one, we're going to switch up to dries and I'm going to dedicate myself to it for the rest of the day. And I'm going to, I'm going to marry this idea of catching fish on, on dry flies and I'm not going to turn my back on it. And I'm going to get good at it. I'm going to learn to false cast at the right times. I'm going to learn to drop little curves and reach casts and little hooks. I'm going to learn to move and twitch my fly so subtly that all we do is turn the posture of the fly. And we're going to do, and I want you to try to listen to that. And I don't know if you're, anybody's writing anything down. You're probably driving down the interstate on your way to work. Uh, but when it comes to like emulating movement of the squala, just understand that they barely move on the water. They're not like other stoneflies. They just kind of sit there and waddle their legs. But when we try to imitate that, we want flies that have some hackle and some hair. You know, rubber legs are, are fine too, but those don't really imitate that that leg that's in constant motion. And when you twitch or try to emulate movement of the squala, you're doing it so subtle that all we're trying to do is create a little ring and just turn the fly's posture. It is so subtle, you guys. 
it and you can unlock a lot of fish that you didn't even know were there when you're good at this trust me and very we we bump into not a lot of anglers that can do this kind of fishing i'm talking about like top tier dry fly anglers but if you want to have good dry fly fishing for squalas you've got to dedicate yourself to it and you've got to practice and get good at executing perfect dry fly fishing and casting and it it's unfortunate but you know and part of it's people kind of succumb to the pressure of the guides because we like to nymph fish because we get we get fish for folks and we see a lot of smiles and they're happy uh, and we get a little bit nervous if we dry fly fish for an hour or two and people haven't got any any fish up you know you know we feel like we're we're trying to offer them you know the opportunity to go back to nymphing but if you want to be a good dry fly fisherman hold your ground and just say you know what no i'm gonna fish dries and get damn good at it it might take you a trip or two uh of just fishing you know, trying to get the most out of your dry fly fishing because it makes a huge difference, you guys. It, you know, I hear people talk about, oh, the dry fly fishing is terrible, blah blah blah, and I'm like, man, I was out there personally fishing, and I know it wasn't. Um, you know, at risk of sounding arrogant, um, there's a lot we don't know about our own skills, and I, I'm sure I'm going to continue to get a lot better, you know, as the future goes on. But you've got to fish a few days of just throwing dries at these things. Um, you got to fish more than a few days to call yourself good at it. Just getting the fly to a location is not presenting it uh, and giving it a perfect presentation. So as you go into your day, you know, it's not about numbers, okay? It's about having a high-level experience. So I would say if you can get six trout landed on a dry in an afternoon squall of fishing, that's a damn good day. Uh, you know, certainly there are days we catch a hell of a lot more than that, but there are days we don't get, you know, hardly anything. Um, but if you want to have good dry fly fishing, you've got to stick to dry fly fishing and you need to be good at it and take ownership of the results. And we see a lot of people punt way too soon on the dry fly fishing. So stick to the dry fly fishing from noon or one on. Um, if it's a decent looking day, you know, you've got some, you got some warmth. We've got relatively clear water, you know, uh, fairly calm conditions, those are days when those fish will be looking for those squalas. Um, a trout that's in our river is going to be six years old. In six springs, that trout has learned that there are certain conditions that he expects or she expects these bugs to be available. So, um, you know, I would just say stay the course, keep your expectations realistic, and it is so exciting when you can come out and you can stick the landing on a, you know, a nice little squalla type pattern. You make a 30 to 50 foot cast, set that fly down perfect right on the seam, drop it right into a spot where you think there's a big trout. And then all of a sudden you see that bulge and that big head coming up to sip that squalla. There's nothing like it. You don't need 30 takes like that in a day to make it memorable. You need six to 10. And that's a very realistic number. But you have to be patient and you got to get good at it and take ownership of your dry fly fishing. So um, hopefully that rant, you know, helps adjust your expectations. This is not, we're not chucking grasshoppers in 60 degree water against the shore in July when the trout are, you know, are aggressive and starving. You know, that, that warmer water temperature um, raises their metabolism. Right here, these are generally pre-spawn trout. Unless they're brown trout and you're in the, you know, the, the closer to the Rockies somewhere we have, or the Owyhee River, uh, you know, has a squalla hatch. Forgive me for, if you fish the Owyhee River and I just mentioned that, but, uh, 
There, there are other areas with brown trout. You know, the Missoula, Montana area is well known for its squalor hatch and so on. So there are places that the fish aren't pre-spawned, but rainbows and cutthroat are both spring spawners. And these trout are typically building weight for that spawn on the front edge of that squalor hatch. And uh, so if you're, you know, if you're on the Clark Fork River in Montana, you're going to end up seeing, you know, rainbows, cutthroat, and browns. But a lot of the rainbows and cutthroat are going to be quite aggressive because they are going to be spawning um, in the spring. So as far as just, you know, tips I haven't covered uh, for the squalor hatch is, you know, be diligent. Um, if you're wade fishing, you know, I would say make very careful casts. Uh, survey the seam lines that you're going to throw across or up to because you're going to be throwing you know, a size 10 fly, and that is highly visible to the trout. Every trout's going to see it the first time it trickles down that seam. So you'd better make your first shot good. And sometimes less is more with those types of spots. If you're, remember this quote, I, I don't know who or where I came up with this. Maybe I came up with this, this, uh, this quote, but if your goal is to catch a big trout, do it on your first cast. Okay, I don't know where this idea that, oh, well, we're just going to start short and kind of work our way out across the seam. Most people, when they walk into a seam, they throw like three casts that are just kind of like range finders where they're just like, oh, too short, too much to the left, too much to the right, too long. And you'd better be good at walking into a seam. If you're wade fishing, doesn't matter whether you have a boat or not, but if you're wade fishing and you step into a seam, and your goal is to pull one solid trout out of that seam, I strongly recommend you attempt to do it in one cast because that trout will see that number 10 stonefly. If it hits three or four feet to the right, trust me, he saw it. Now, you can pick up little teenager-sized trout uh, you know, on your second, third, fourth cast, but the big trout, man, he sees all. And uh, if you put it on the main part of that seam, the sweetest, best part of that seam on your first shot, you're exponentially more likely to to catch that larger, more mature fish uh, in those seam lines. Uh, if alternatively, you're if the squall hatch is not happening and squall and nymphs aren't effective and the dry flies aren't present and all that, there's going to be lots of those kind of days. There's probably going to be as many or more of those days during the early spring time frame. Is there as days when the hatch is decent? Um, you're going to resort to traditional nymphing tactics, uh, using strike indicators or dry droppers, uh, European style tactics, uh, trout spay fishing or streamer fishing, uh, can work fine too. There's going to be lots of those kinds of days. Uh, San Juan power worms, uh, are my favorite fly when the water gets, uh, a little bit off color or it is on the drop. So river came up a little bit, got a little dirty and it's dropping and clearing and getting back into shape. All those high water events uh, encourage uh, dislodgement, which is a new word or term that uh, somebody presented to me the other day. But uh, dislodgement's going to happen. We have those high water events. It's going to grab soil and material and debris and worms uh, out of the, the soil of the substrate along the river. Those worms are now going to be trying to figure out what life is like underwater, vulnerable to the trout this time of year. So the worm, the worm game... Uh, can be pretty strong when you have dingy or off-colored water, especially on the drop uh, when that when that water's cleaning up. 
So you're going to use all these other strategies, but the squalas kind of the main game this time of year. Squalas can be found all over the country, especially on the Acoma River. Uh, I would encourage you, if you can, come out and do a guided trip with us this time of year. Our guides are awesome. We run a special deal in the spring. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the podcast description uh, or just give us a buzz. Uh, but we run trips uh, with a nice lunch, flies, tackle, rods if you need them uh, for anybody in your party for 375 bucks a day. And uh, we skip the early morning. Uh, we usually meet at about 10 or 11, fish till late afternoon, early evening, 375 a boat, um, split it with a buddy. Uh, so uh, we love this time of year. We get pretty motivated to get out there and do it. Um, so hopefully we see you uh, out here uh, sometime this spring and we can hit the, hit the squalla hatch together.